child is this too late to miss on Mary's land the sleeping who angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch our keeping
shut up. In the love of the Lord, shut up. Was that unbelievable? My word. I was just like, I got to go talk. I mean, I was just like, unbelievable. I need something to drink. I need a water here real quick. That was unbelievable. What an amazing way to kick off Thanksgiving week. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't done this in the last few weeks, but I want to take just a, just a really quick hot second and make sure that we remember we are a church in hundreds of locations, thousands as we are welcoming in so many folks who are online who are not ready to be back in the room just yet. So let's welcome in our online church. Glad to be with y'all. Excited about it. Also, I want to remind you, I know I said this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, we've been gathering since May the 30th. And by the grace of God, everything's been fine. Everybody's healthy. And we do have a section in the room where if you want to come and keep your mask on, you are welcome to. We ask everyone to wear a mask on the way in and on the way out, but there's a place where you can leave your mask on. If you want to sing with other people who keep their masks on, we have that here for safety, for everything, and uh, we're, just, we're so excited to be back in the room and excited about this day and what is going on. Also, I want to just tell you, I have seen Believe 2020. You do not want to miss this thing. It is going to be absolutely unbelievable and an incredible way to share with so many people the message of Christmas and the hope of Christmas that is Christ. But it'll premiere next Sunday evening. We're excited about that. I pray that you have an incredible, incredible Thanksgiving week. But in the meantime, in the meantime, what child is this? You know, I, th I think that Christmas carol, really that Christmas him asks and answers the central question of Christmas. Long before you get to any of the other questions, like, what do you want for Christmas? What kind of tree? Real or fake? How many of us have real trees in the house? Let me hear you if you got a real tree. You can clap. Real tree people just raise their hands. Real, okay, clap, okay. How many of us have an artificial tree? I get it, I get it. So that, that's another question of Christmas. People say, you know, what do you want for Christmas? What kind of tree are you going to have? What do you put in your eggnog? These are, all, these are all questions around Christmas. But what child is this? This is the central and essential, the, the fundamental, ultimate question of Christmas. What child is this? This song was written back in 1865. It was written in England, Brit Great Britain, but it was written at the same year that the American Civil War came to a conclusion. The guy who wrote this, it was ultimately a, a poem that was titled The Manger Throne. The guy who wrote it was a guy by the name of William Chatterley Dix, D-I-X. He was actually an insurance salesman in Scotland and at the age of 29 years old, he went through a severe health crisis that left him bedridden for months on end. And as you would understand, being bedridden for so long, he entered into a deep, deep depression. But it was out of this depression that he experienced a spiritual awakening and a renewal. 
And out of this spiritual awakening and renewal, he became one of the most celebrated hymn writers in the world. And what child is this is part of the product of his spiritual renewal. But it's a question that is asked and answered by the authority of Scripture. William Chatterley Dix asks the question and answers the question, what child is this, by going to Luke chapter 2 and describing the angel's encounter with the shepherds. The shepherds encounter with Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. But then the final verse goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 1 and mentions the magi, the magi who traveled from, from the east bringing, bringing their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But I, I think the most, the most penetrating, the most poignant parts of this Christmas carol, this Christmas hymn really, focus our attention on the affections of Mary for her baby. It brings us to that moment where, where Mary is there with Jesus, there in Bethlehem, in this moment where the babe is asleep on the lap. And the song does an incredible job of juxtaposing the, the, the Christ child with the King of Kings, taking this baby born like every other baby in the world, but also making sure that we remember this is the anointed, the promised one of Israel, and reminding us of this interplay. And it's, it's this that, that, that does so beautifully, these lyrics that Roger just sang okay. <laughs> what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud. That's praise, worship, and honor. The babe, the son of Mary. It's an amazing moment that this Christmas hymn captures for us. And it's a moment that the Bible actually refers to specifically by nature. It's interesting how different people respond to the same event differently. You, you have the shepherds who received this angelic birth announcement, and then the Bible says rushed to Bethlehem to see what they had been told about. And then as soon as they encountered the Christ child, they left from there and, and told anyone and everyone what they had heard and what they had seen. But then the Bible immediately contrasts the shepherds with Mary. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. Now, the shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, I think Mary maybe one of the most misunderstood people in the entire Bible. This moment where she is treasuring all these things up and just kind of taking it all in and then truly pondering them in her heart, this is absolutely consistent with what we know about Mary, with what the Bible does reveal to us about her. And it's interesting that she paused and pondered while the shepherds ran and told everybody that they knew. Again, different people 
responding differently to the same event. I remember when Julie told me that we were going to be parents for the first time. I will never forget when she told me that she was pregnant with Emily, our firstborn. Then there was a moment, I was so excited. I was like, what are you kidding me? And, and then in that moment, moment of candor, I was terrified. Any first time fathers remember that feeling? If you don't want to throw up in your mouth just a little bit at the weight of the responsibility attached to fatherhood, you're not paying attention. I was just like, I was, I was barely 27 years old. Julie and I had been married for a little over two years. I was still in seminary. And here I was going to be responsible for a human being. I didn't even have a dog. It was overwhelming. Julie, though, was calm as a cucumber. She was excited, but she was like, yeah, we're going to have a baby. We prayed about it. We've talked about it. It's going to happen. It's going to be great. She was just calm, cool, and collected until five months later, fast forward, because back in the day, it was five months when they would do the sonogram when you could find out and discover the sex of the baby that you were carrying. And when we went in for this doctor's appointment, Julie was adamant, we are not finding out. We're going to be surprised with everybody in our family when this baby is born. I was like, all right, great. I didn't have a strong feeling one way or the other, find out, not find out. I didn't care. You know, she's like, well, but the decoration of the nursery is like, all right. But anyway, so she, we go into this. She's adamant. We're not going to do it. She's there on the table. The doctor pulls out the little sonogram wand, and he's checking to make sure everything's fine, and he turns the screen so we can't see it. Not that any other person can read this anyway, but he's doing the, the sonogram, and, and he goes, well... I can tell you with about 99.8% confidence what you're going to have. And in that moment, my wife, who is so smart, who is so principled, who is so tough, folded like a cheap stepladder. <laughs> she goes, I got to know, I got to know. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, we came in here and you were adamant. We're not going to find out. She goes, yeah, but I got to know, I got to know. And the doctor goes, you're having a girl. <laughs> And Julie lost her mind. She didn't cry. She didn't get emotional. But she's like, we're having a girl. You're going to be the father of a daughter. You're, we're having a girl. We're having a girl. We're having a girl. Well, we left the doctor's office and went to a mall close by to buy the gown that Julie would wear in the hospital when she delivered. And, and as we're walking through this mall, she kept hitting me. We're having a girl. We're having a girl. I was like, yeah, I was there. I know. She goes, do you understand? We're having a girl. I'm like, I get it. Quit hitting me. But that was the day that it became real for her. That was the day that, that everything changed. And I'll never forget, it's just a little aside that has nothing to do with the sermon. We were standing in Victoria's Secret. All of the scantily clad mannequins and everything. And Julie pulls out this floor to shoulder length gown that buttons at the neck made out of flannel. And she, I, this is a true story. If you, when you see Julie, ask her if I made any of this up. She pulls this, get, this gown out and she goes, they have got such fun stuff in here. And I just looked at her and I go, yeah, they, they really do, babe. That looks like a lot of fun. I love that. But anyway, that, that, I promise you that happened. I promise you, word for word. 
but Mary. But Mary treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. What we do know about Mary, she was a resident of Nazareth like Joseph. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. And we know that historically during this day and time, most marriages were arranged by the parents, which by the way, I think is still a great idea. I can't get anybody to come along with me on this one. I still think parents ought to arrange marriages, but that's another sermon. Um, I distracted myself. She was engaged to Joseph. She was told by an angel of God that she would become pregnant miraculously. That even though she was not married, even though she had never been with a man, she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. And she would bear the Son of God. And we know that Joseph was, was at his heart and his core a good man. Because the Bible says that Joseph, when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he knew he wasn't the father. He, he wanted to break the engagement quietly so as not to bring shame on Mary. But you got to understand, in this culture, it's not just that he didn't want to shame Mary. He likely was saving her life. Because under the old law, if Mary had been found to be pregnant by someone else, and, and nobody, by the way, nobody was really buying the whole Holy Spirit thing. How many of you are from a small town? Can I see a show of hands? If you, you know, can you imagine the rumor mill of Nazareth? Mary's pregnant, but it's God. So Joseph wants to break the engagement in a way that doesn't shame her. But if, if the town folk felt that she had shamed Joseph with someone else, she could have been stoned to death. So, so Joseph is doing everything he can literally to save her life. But then Joseph is told by an angel that there's nothing inappropriate going on, but that God is at work in this. And that the baby that Mary will bear will be the Savior, the anointed one of Israel. And so Joseph steps up to take his place beside Mary, knowing what people will say, knowing that people will be talking. This, this is the kind of guy Joseph was. But we also understand Mary's heart. Because in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, are, are old by any standard you want to use. They have no children, but Elizabeth is now miraculously pregnant on her own by Zechariah, and the baby that she is carrying will be named John, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing a way. And, and the Bible says that when these two women come together and meet, that Elizabeth, the baby she's carrying, leapt for joy in her womb when the baby heard Mary's voice. And in that moment, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they come together, this kind of mutual support group of miraculous pregnancies that nobody's going to really believe as a support system. And it's in this environment that Mary writes the first Christmas carol. It's referred to as the Magnificat. It is Mary magnifying the glory of God. Look at what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1. This is just a little piece of this Christmas carol. And Mary said, my soul 
glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This, this anthem of praise, of Christmas worship, Mary, what she's really doing, Mary is stepping into her calling. Mary is, is owning what God has told her is about to happen. Mary is owning the responsibility of being the mother of Christ. Now, just let that sink in for a second. To be the mother of Christ. This was an overwhelming reality. If it was only that moment that Mary had heard from the angel that Elizabeth had affirmed her calling, if it was only that, it would have been overwhelming. But this calling in Mary's life was the culmination of more than 700 years of prophecy about Mary specifically. If you go all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, this is what Isaiah, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, had prophesied. He wrote, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So more than 700 years. Think about that. Like, let's, let's go back in time to 1492. Let's just say when Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And, and let's say that somebody there had, had written something down and said that there will be a woman in the new world that Columbus has just discovered. And this woman will become president of a great nation. Let's just say that that happened. And then, lo and behold, you are that woman. And you look back and you go, this prophet that, that knew Christopher Columbus, that was, I don't know if it was on the Nina, the Penta, the Santa Maria, we're not sure, but this prophet wrote, and now I'm standing in those shoes. That's what Mary was going through. She's saying, I will receive this calling. I will step into this. And as she does so, Mary shows us a couple of incredible incredible principles and practices that hold true for every single one of us. Because the reality is the fact that you are drawing breath, whether you're here in the room watching online or watching later on, the fact that you have been created in the image of God by God means there is a calling on your life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him with a smile on your face, tell him, you got a calling. That was absolutely terrible. I want you to turn to the same person and tell them again like you mean it and you believe it. You got a calling. Now I believe you. Before, if I was sitting next to you, I would have been like, oh, I don't know. What? You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. The vast majority of us don't have it prophesied in Scripture, but you have a calling. Your calling is no less divinely mandated than Mary's. Your calling is from God. He's put you here 
on purpose with a purpose. There is a reason why you're here. And you have an opportunity. You have, you have a responsibility to step into that. Look at what Mary did. The first thing that you see in, in, in Mary's life is that she trusted God's record instead of her resume. Trust God's record more than your resume. What did she say? My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She wasn't rejoicing in her resume. She didn't have a resume. She was a young girl from Nazareth. Later on in Jesus' ministry, people would go, is this Mary and Joseph's boy from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. They, they, they talked about Nazareth like it was Oklahoma. They were just like, nothing good comes from there. Mary, Mary wasn't relying on her resume. She was trusting God's record. And for the record, God's record is spotless. He has never lost yet. Now, we have struggles. We have challenges. We, we have weaknesses, insecurities, all of those things. But when it is all said and done, God and those who follow him win. Period. That's why we've been able to say over the last few weeks, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No matter what Fox News, no matter what MSNBC, CNN, no matter what any of them tell you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If you think Joe Biden or Donald Trump is going to save our country, I love you, and you are out your mind. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, particularly when the people of God accept, receive, and trust their calling from God. Trust God's record more than your resume. Now, I, I listen, I, I get it. If you have never if you've never chased, if you've never prayed about your calling, it, it can seem like, man, that, that's a million miles away. What, what, how do you do that? Can I just real quickly, real quickly give you a, a template, if you will, to begin, a place to begin as you pray, as you talk to people around you who know God better or longer than you do? This is just something to use to think about your calling. And, and it's use the words call. C-A-L-L. -L. C is for contribution. What is the contribution that you have to make in this world? What's your contribution? One of the things, one of the ways you can probably identify your calling is what are the things that stir you up? What are the things that, that keep you awake at night? That probably is a great indicator of your calling. It's not the only one, but it's a huge one. Many, many times, our misery becomes our ministry. I, I think back in my own life, my parents' divorce was, was just mind-blowing when it happened when I was 12 years old. But man, God has used that over and over and over again to fuel me, to, to stir Julie, to make sure that our marriage is everything God wants it to be, that I'm being the husband I'm supposed to be, but also to help and equip and encourage other people to do the same thing. So what's, what's your contribution? A, A is your aptitude. What are you good at? 
What, what are you good at? Like I remember when I was a kid, I, I thought I knew that God had put me on the earth to succeed Roger Staubach as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Now it looks like it's going to be Garrett Gilbert. But my point is, I knew that's why I was here. But you know what? When, when I got to high school and I, and I started hanging out with, with actual athletes, I played, I played high school basketball, but it was abundantly clear. I did not have the aptitude to play in the NFL. Missed it by this much. But there are other things I can do. You know what's weird about me? One of the things that's weird about me, I've never been nervous speaking in front of people. Who knew? Who knew when I was 14 years old that God might use that one day to pastor a church? That, that's just an aptitude. That's not because I'm anything special. That's just something God baked into me. That's how I got here. L, what do you love? What do you love? What are you passionate about? That's a huge indicator of your calling. What, what are you passionate about? What do you love? And then the final L, C-A-L-L, -L, your contribution, your aptitude, your love, the most important one is the most difficult one. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. It's the leading that God gives you. What is the leading of God in your life? If God has given you a call, and he has, he will absolutely lead you to it. Mary was stepping into this calling. You see, Mary realized something, and I would love to tell you that I made this up, but I did not. Mary realized that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And those are two very different things. So many times we're like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. Listen, if somebody ever tells you God will never give you more than you can handle, you, you need to run from that person with everything you've got. God calls us stuff we can't handle all the time. Forces us to our knees so that we trust and rely on him. Mary was trusting in God's record more than her resume. Second thing, make sure that you fulfill God's calling instead of others' expectations. Make sure that you're fulfilling the calling of God and not somebody else's expectations. It's amazing to me how many voices we hear in our heads. And I'm talking about those of us who are relatively sane. How many, how many times we hear, no matter how old we get, we hear voices or disapproval from our parents, many times who aren't even alive anymore. How many times do we, we think, well, I couldn't do that because she would think this? Or ah, I'm not even going to mention that out loud because, listen, Mary knew, Mary knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if she walked around Nazareth telling everybody, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That people were going to go, uh-huh, sure, Mary. And yet she stepped into that because she knew this was God's call on her life. She was fulfilling God's calling, which is divine, instead of worrying about others' expectations. Human people will not understand a God calling in your life. It will happen if you're chasing what God has for you with everything that you've got, I promise you, there will be people in your life who won't get it. They won't understand it. They won't support it. 
that doesn't mean that it's not God's calling. Now, it is imperative that we seek godly counsel from godly people. But we've got to be comfortable disappointing people but fulfilling God's calling. What child is this? What child is this? If you were asked that question, what child is this? I'm just going to go ahead and say none of us could answer it like Roger did earlier. <laughs> that, that ain't happening. But if someone were to ask you, what child is this? Could you answer them? Could you answer them accurately? Could you answer them in a way that is digestible? Like they, they, could, they could take it in and, and grasp it and understand it? Is it accurate? Is it digestible? And I think maybe most importantly, could you answer that question personally? What child is this? Let, let, me, let me tell you who, who this Jesus is to me. My, my experience with him, my witness, my testimony, not, not in a church sense, but in a courtroom sense. I, I'm going to tell you the facts, Jack. He is my God. He is my Savior. Mary was his mother. Mary was human. Biblically, we pray only to God and to Christ. Mary is absolutely blessed among women. She carried the Son of God. But she was human just like you and me. What child is this? This is the Savior of the world. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to make sure that you understand <clears throat> the calling of God on your life begins, begins with his call to relationship, a relationship with him. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is salvation, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's about knowing him. If you're here today and you've never made that personal, never made that relational, we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to pray just right where you're sitting, maybe online, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of relationship a relationship that makes the religion worthwhile. A relationship that is the anchor point for every part of your life. If that's you this morning, then we invite you just to pray silently right where you are. Just talk to God from your heart to his and silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back so that I can receive your forgiveness, your grace, 
all of it. And God, in this moment, I give you my life. I will follow you. I will trust you more than I trust myself, more than I trust another person. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus once and for all. If you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we, we want to help with what's next. In just, a, in just a minute, we'll share with you how that happens. But right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I want to I want to begin that process by just asking you one thing. If you just prayed that prayer of beginning, that prayer of relationship, would you just raise your hand? Just quietly, but unmistakably raise your hand and hold it up as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that as a church, as a family with you, we celebrate that. And our family tradition around here is, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.